what you want. That's still really funny. <laughs> it's February 3rd, 2024. I'm Jorge, your fellow Iranian-backed militia member, <laughs> speaking to you live from the comfort of my drone-operated pilot chair. Okay. That's all I got. And I'm Savannah, and I think groundhogs should make society's decisions for everything. That should be truly true. All right. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. All right. That's great. Well, hello. We're back. The room's echo- echo- echoier than I imagined. Um, oh, there we go. That might fix it. Hello, Savannah. Hello, Jorge. How are you doing? Doing great. Yeah? Yeah. Well, um... Are you excited about spring coming? <laughs> <laughs> I I certainly am. I wish you'd... But, you know, before we get into the spring topic, I guess it's supposed to be the rain season approaching first. Oh, shoot. They didn't predict that with a shadow. The, no? They don't, they don't predict rain shadows either? No, with the groundhog? Groundhog Day? Uh, groundhog Day? That was yesterday. Well, really? Yeah, I have a clip for it if you want. Ooh, okay, give it to me. Uh, it's called Groundhog Phil. <laughs> hear ye, hear ye! Now on this February 2nd, Punxsutawney Phil, the seer of seers, prognosticator of all prognosticators, was awakened from his wintry nap at dawn on Gobbler's Knob. Phil looked to the skies and then, speaking in groundhog ease, directed the president to the proper scroll, which reads, What this weather did not provide is a shadow or reason to hide. Glad tidings on this groundhog day! An early spring is on the way! <laughs> so... <laughs> I'd march for that groundhog. So, okay, background. So, this is a city in uh, Pennsylvania. P- okay, P- Punxsutawney? That's so wrong. But Punxsutawney Phil is the groundhog that they bring out every year on Groundhog Day. And they, he has his own society. Oh, a groundhog club since 1887. You got a clip of this? No, they have a website, but okay. this is that's the clip of the guy that it's a society where they all dress in like the bucket hats or not the bucket the hats, but hats. like the old timey. Yeah. And they have this crowd at like seven o'clock in the morning on Groundhog Day and they bring out this groundhog and then they read a scroll and then people go wild <laughs> and then they all drink after. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought that was fun. So um, uh, Puxatani Phil says spring is coming early this year. Which just means that the weather will be spring weather before the official start of spring. Well, CBS had its own take on it. Um, of course. They didn't have to talk to Groundhog Phil for oh, any just, sort of weather forecast. They have their forecast. own Groundhog? They, they, made, they brought in the weather themselves. We begin tonight with a monster Pacific storm bringing what's described monster. as a fire hose of rain fire to parts of California. <laughs> More than 15 hose. million are under flood alerts tonight. This powerful system is the first of a one-two punch. Another atmospheric river is coming in the days ahead. I love how dramatic they get with well, their with I their love, explanations of weather. I love weather. the phrasing of yeah, it. Yeah, fire a hose. One-two punch. Right. <laughs> While they're talking about flooding, we should have like looked destructive at destructive flooding. We should have looked at like the deep freeze that occurred. Where you oh, know, like what wording was mm-hmm, used? That, that'd be fun. Yeah, it's so dramatic. So dramatic. Just get you a groundhog. So have them tell the weather. So it's just it's going to rain a lot. And there's flood warnings. Yes. CBS's okay. Carter Evans reports tonight from a hard-hit Long Beach. God, hard-hit. Dramatic rescues today in Southern California <laughs> as flood water. Talk about the whole clip being dramatic, huh? <laughs> Jeez. They draw you in, right? Hey, yeah. A swift water rescue team saved this man trapped under a bridge in Orange County. 
And in Long Beach, drivers needed help getting to dry land after their cars wound up submerged up to their roofs. You know what? This area what? just south of Hang Los on. Angeles it, received nearly what? a... The drivers who are submerged under underwater, they probably drove in there thinking they could make it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's probably their fault. Mm -hmm. Like, did, yes, did the water yes, come in that quickly? Right. That they're no, no, driving no, 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 no. and they get submerged? No, they, they thought they could do it. That's yeah, a they, really good point, They Savannah. thought they could do it, and yes. now they're stuck, and then now they have to have a dramatic rescue. <laughs> right. Now, well, of course, it's from California. So yeah, of course. Being, also, who pays for the rescue? They do. Good. <laughs> Months worth of rain in just 12 no, hours. No, them by the tax dollars. Let's just play the clip. Let's just finish this out. I've been living here for like three years and I've never seen it like this. In L.A., winds gusting up to 45 miles per hour downed trees. <coughs> and torrential downpours made for a dangerous morning commute. The storm slammed Northern California first, knocking down trees and flooding streets, along with nearby vineyards where up to three inches of rain fell. I'm Elise Preston here in Northern California's wine country, where crews have closed off roads, keeping drivers away from floodwaters, like here in Sonoma County, where the incessant storm washed out a road, stranding a driver and forcing this overnight water rescue. Across the area, the pounding rain had nowhere to go. Several wineries are underwater today after the Russian River swelled and overflowed. Back in Southern California, at higher elevations, the powerful storm is good news for skiers. But with up to two feet of fresh powder expected in the mountains, this bald eagle is hunkered down in her Aww. nest, keeping her eggs warm. Wow, they're hitting every... Everything. I'm so confused by this because there's, just, a, there's a conflicting report from CBS that also says the opposite. That right. the ground or the the groundhog the, ground, the groundhog spoke <laughs> and he's okay. wrong. Phil's okay. He's wrong. No, the, the the bald eagle's fine. No, did they mention the bald eagle? No, they mentioned the snow. So oh. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, that clip is a little beyond me. I, I liked how they mentioned and, and you couldn't see it obviously because you're listening to this uh, to this podcast. But they were saying a man trapped under a bridge. I'm like, no, that man was living under the bridge. Well, I was gonna ask, how did he get there? Right. That that's my, that was my question was when he, I first figured that out. Was yeah. Like, was he, he just walking and no, he, got he was. Probably under the, the bridge. We're talking about California here, okay? So then we'll go into CBS Western States snow drought this year. And this has snow drought. Snow drought. I've so never heard that before. Remember, there was heavy snow in Southern California, I guess. Now we have a snow drought. So right now, parts of the I do apologize. This is long. So I will longer we'll, than the last yeah, one. Yeah, it's it's really it's really funny because it almost seems scripted if you were to listen to it. But the guy's just nervous. But they're both screwing it up, so we'll just watch or listen, excuse me. So right now, parts of the U.S. Um, in the Midwest are in the midst, I should say, of a snow drought. We're actually talking about the West. This is something that can oh have gosh. a widespread economic and environment. <laughs> he doesn't even know the location. No. <laughs> Midwest, West. You have to forget that it's this guy's <laughs> from New York. No problem whatsoever. He's <laughs> chilling in Manhattan. Say of a snow drought. We're actually talking about the West. This is something that can have a widespread economic and environmental impact. Many For areas west drought? of the Mississippi mm -hmm. are well below their average snowpack levels. California, Oregon, and Washington are being hit hardest. Snowflow.org, in fact, reports all three states have less than 40% of their average snowpack. You see the totals. Okay, snowflow.org is uh let's i'll read it to you about snowflow the ultimate platform for outdoor enthusiasts and climate conscious individuals snowflow provides a real-time climate and hydrology information from various regions of the united states 
We analyze data from multiple sources, such as snow telemetry sites, uh, stream gauges, automated weather stations, and other hydraulic data sources to provide users with accurate and up-to-date information on the snowpack levels, river flows, and participations. Uh, Snowflow has been empowering explorers with the ultimate in climate intelligence since 2015. Um, this is an app. <laughs> this is an, it's app. an app. It's a subscription to to use this. It's five dollars a month, and okay. you get uh, flood monitoring. You get all these, and what it helps with primarily by what I read from the reviews, which are skeptical nonetheless, because it's just like one word. Like I love the product. Great product. Um, it's yeah. It's to read. It, it's yeah. It feels like bots. Um, it's yeah, it's to read flood reports and or flow reports and rivers, whatever. But it's mostly for skiing. Wait, so it so this is the source that the news station is this is citing. Yes. So where are they getting their research from? Um. So they they they, they don't disclose that. Okay. In the in what they're doing here, uh, at least not their website. Or the app. Where does the app get the research from? It doesn't disclose that. Okay. Yeah. Um. But well, on top of that, it mm-hmm. it shows snowpack levels where to potentially might be good. It's it's heavy. It's made for uh, an audience of potentially mostly skiers uh, and recreational fishing. Okay. So is this sounds like an ad, right? You you build up the idea of low demand or high demand of uh, low ski areas, low low snowpack levels. Where can you go skiing that has significantly good snow? Hey, I'll get the app. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So. Here and I'm almost certain that this this uh, professor that's going to come on in a minute is going to advertise the same the same sort of deal, just based on what he's saying. For more, let's bring in Montana State University Assistant Professor Eric Sproles, who has some of the best titles I've ever heard. He leads the school's geospatial snow, water, and ice research lab. And yeah, you, you know, you, you don't you don't think he's just a little connected? That's just it's a it's a weird one, weird title. <laughs> the director of its geospatial core facility. Great to have you with us. A happy new year to you. Talk to me about what trends you're seeing this year. And I, I kind of introduced you by saying which regions are being hit the hardest, but what impact is El Nino playing and what the West is witnessing? Um, so the West is, as you mentioned, the West is definitely down on snowpack for this part of this time of year um, as compared to normal. Um, what we're seeing is is across the West is is drier, but it's also warmer. And so not only are you getting less precipitation, but that precipitation is uh, maybe coming in a little more rain than snow. And then it's also, uh, if it does fall as snow, it's going to melt out a little sooner in January or December or January, which is which is quite uncommon. So with the role of El Nino, this is exactly what you would expect to see in an El Nino year. Typically in the Western U.S. in an El Nino year, you're going to see um, you're going to see uh, warmer than average temperatures and drier than average conditions. And so what this means is that simply there's less precipitation. The, the fronts that do come across, there's less precipitation in those fronts, uh, and that when it does come, it's going to fall more as snow than rain. I mean, just to bring the snow. <laughs> That's all right. And I was selfishly mentioning, oh, it's going to impact all of us snowboarders and the skiers, many of whom are still planning their winter trips right now. But the reality is it impacts more than just ski resorts, especially when we talk about the economic um, effect. What is the wider impact of all this? Yeah, I mean, so snow is absolutely snow is in the Western United States. Snow is our savings account with regards to water. Mm. Uh, snow accumulates. It's a free and natural reservoir that accumulates in the mountains. And as it slowly releases through the year, it recharges groundwater and it fills the streams. 
And we use those streams and we use that groundwater for all kinds of things like uh, turning, washing our dishes at a more domestic level, washing our dishes, uh, using the toilet, uh, and at a more macro level. You know, we use snow, a lot of uh, snow melt is used for irrigation for agriculture in the Western United States uh, and also for hydropower as well. So it has definitely downstream impacts with regards to, to ah. food and water resources um, that, that we might not see necessarily right now. But as it keeps moving forward into the into the summer, if these conditions persist, uh, I'm guessing uh, it will be uh, might have some belt tightening if our savings account is pretty low. I think that's a useful analogy when you say snowpack is like your savings account there of water. In our last few moments, what's the other end of this? Could we be seeing in your, in your last few moments? Do you love me? Sorry, I don't know why that was. What's funny. your compliment to what, me? Because I just gave you one. <laughs> in our last moments, please tell us. How did I do during good? fire season, and how at all can any of this be mitigated? Right. So with regards to fire, uh, you know, commonly longer, uh, if you have a longer, drier summer or less snow on the ground, you're, you're going to see enhanced fire conditions. It's not to say this year is going to be a record setting fire year, um, but the, the situation, the, the circumstances are setting up that it will be um, perhaps a more enhanced fire season. With regards to mitigation, you know, I think, I think, you know, really one of the bigger things is, is to recognize that it's happening. Uh, to see these trends that are that are consistent and persistent um, across the West and, and beyond, yeah. and and really begin to to think about what this means. Uh, we might have to, you know, just like in in times of economic no. uh, stress, we, you need to tighten your belt a little bit, and that's exactly what we might need to do with regards to how we use water and how we look forward to how uh, water plays out on the the firescape. New... Yeah, it's our new reality. Uh, Eric Sproul is joining us from Montana. Thanks very much. Prepare. The Ice Age is here. <laughs> or whatever they said in that movie. Um, so, California. So, okay. two things. Okay, two two yeah. things that really got me mad. One, he's the the CBS is straight up lying. Their, the water supplies are, as predicted, uh, this is a, this is a, um, oh, what should I call What is his official title? Well, Cliff Mass is a, he's a blogger, but he's also, he works for the University of Washington and he tracks a lot of, he is the local blog weatherman, at least that's how I call him, but he reads a lot of the weather that's within the Pacific Northwest and into California, uh, as well as sort of reads some of the news that goes on re weather related. He's the weatherman, right? So he's going to be reading over the news that's, that's coming out. Mm -hmm. He posted, and that's what led me to this clip. Um, he goes, what, literally the title goes, water resources looks good over the Western United States. Uh, and then he tags this, this clip that we just played. Um, and he summarizes through, and I'll, I'll put it, we should start getting better at, at putting our shit in the show notes. Um, he summarizes California's reservoirs, Oregon's reservoirs. Uh, uh, they're all Montana. above, they're, they're mostly all above average, if not, um, just maybe one or two that are under, but so everything else is phenomenal. So that would imply then over the summer, even if it's a dry summer, they have enough saved up. Yes. If there's no snow to replenish it. Right. When you okay. also, you still have your snowpack, right? Even if it's minimal, it's still, there's still something first there. And then you have your reservoirs. Um, okay. It just, it's just a straight up lie. And then on top of that, that the, the idea that water, uh, yes, it will dry out most of the area. Uh, and it is more prone to fires, but that also happens with, with fire mitigation, right? which is a technique that the Indians were banned many years ago of doing of controlled burns. And now they're reinstating it because, Hey, it well, actually works. Who would have thought fires every year? 
Nice. Good. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> we have fires every we year. We have fires every year. No, but I mean, he talked about the El Nino coming through, right? right. And that's what he talked about. You have fires in some places because it's extreme drought. And then in other places, you have extreme precipitation, mm-hmm. like a lot of rainfall, like in California, apparently, with the flooding and that. But then you have no snow. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the whole thing's been, I don't know. It's yeah. its not as bad, but it did get me a little pissed off because it's like the, the 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 idea of the advertising at the first start of snowflow.org, which is what they're at the start of the clip. That's what they were showing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not surprised and this, if this man from uh, Montana State does some work for this company as well as just not showing correct evidence. Uh there's no even there's no linkage. I mean, obviously, most news reports don't do that, but there's no like studies that can be shown that, hey, well, this they is can the case present, like a graph where they sure. can they even can cite like yeah. where they get their information from. I've seen that done. Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they show it on the screen, right? Well, uh, to, to cap it off, I do have something that's a bit uh, I ended up finding the same story, uh, but from 2021. And it was much worse than this. Uh They've definitely had to step up their game just a bit, but nonetheless, it's still pretty stupid to listen to. This one's shorter, I promise. Okay. I promise. Did you have someone else to say? Well, I was going to, so it's, I'll listen to the clip, I guess, before I ask. Because okay. I'm. it's probably going to get answered. <laughs> I like the music, too. Scientists are predicting historically dry conditions this summer after a big part of the country dealt with its worst fire season ever. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, droughts and wildfires have cost the U.S. more than $360 billion in the last 40 years. And those numbers are climbing. For more, let's bring in CBS News meteorologist and climate specialist Jeff Berardelli. So, Jeff, how dry are conditions now? Yeah, so I don't want to bury the lead on you. I'll tell you exactly how bad it is. This is the second worst drought in 1,200 years, how do, Lana. What? And part of yes. that... How do they know that? 1,200 years. Well, 1,200 hold on. years. Hold on, they'll go into it more. Yeah. That is due to human-caused climate change, yep. and part of, of it course. is due to a naturally dry cycle. So this is serious, and it's going to get more serious because this drought is likely to get worse and worse. So first, let me just show you this map right here. This is the drought index, the drought monitor And where you see the darkest shades of red, that is exceptional drought. You can see it right there. So about 60% of the western U.S. is under severe, extreme, or exceptional drought. And here are some eye-popping factoids for you. I'll step out of the picture so you can look at them. First of all, this past winter, the wet season was not wet. We only had around 25 to 50% of the normal precipitation. That doesn't set us up well as we head into dry season, which is summer. Soil moisture content. You don't say that the wow. dry season is the summer. Wow. That's very cool. Is the dry what a fucking wizard. It's been in at least 120 years. Oh, yes, 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 yes. The Hang normal on. precipitation. That doesn't set us up well as we head into dry season, which is summer. Soil moisture content is the driest it's been in at least 120 years. Records only go back 120 years, so it likely goes back much further than that. So but They don't know. I, so how can they claim they in 1,200 years? They, no, 120 no, now No, I know, but how levels. can they make the initial they claim? They don't. <laughs> if, they, if data doesn't even go that far back. Like, yeah. I, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, this is the same group, though. This is uh, So it's called Climate Watch on CBS. 
Okay. Uh, I also have clips too okay. from like a month ago. That oh, okay. Just so been this is about a month out. Wow. So we missed the whole storyline then. This could have been. Well, more this ideal. is like yeah, we kept running out of time. Yes, that's true. Okay. But well, let's just run through it then if you want to do that now. Well, you can you do your clips first. It, it's, it's eight seconds. That's They're it. All the same. That's all I had. Okay. That's how dry the soil and vegetation is. 60% of the West, I mentioned this, covered in at least severe drought, if not worse. That was it. What does that mean? So when they like, they measure the severity, it's exceptional drought. What does that mean? Like, what is that in a, a quantitative, well, you're, like a number? What is a well, number? You read what does the it soil, mean to be severe? You read the soil. Yeah. And then, and then you look at the water that you have and then you say, hmm, drought. Yeah, looks seems pretty, pretty seems, exceptional. Seems, seems, seems pretty exceptional. <laughs> There's so. no water. <laughs> There's no water. My goodness. Okay. Uh, what do you have? Uh, uh, okay. And I don't. I don't have. A, I don't have an answer. That's something maybe you should look up. No, I mean. So my. So I have a bunch of clips gathered from end of December of last year, beginning of January this year. Okay. Um. So let's start with. We're already twenty minutes in, so I would suggest pick one. Oh. Oh, but they're so fun. Um. How about hottest year CBS, one and two. Or hottest year PBS. Just oh, to mix up. Why don't I we really well, okay? Let's do PBS. Which one's funnier? Oh, I want to end it with Sky News. Oh, but CNN. Twenty twenty three okay. was the okay. Which one? Come ah. on, make up your mind. Okay, just play what you're playing, and then we. Or I have temperature color map. Yeah, that one's a fun. That one. one seems iffy. I've never understood this. Must limit global temperatures rise to one point five degrees. One point oh, nice. five degrees. The one point five degrees Celsius. One point five is now universally agreed. A temperature rise of 1.5 degrees doesn't sound like much, but for our planet, it can have dramatic consequences for the landscape, ecosystems, and even our bodies. There's no threshold at which things go from safe to being disastrous. Things just get worse as the temperature increases. You just die. Behind me here, we have a simple graphic representing the well, changes wait, pause it. in global temperature. Okay. So what he just said, there's no threshold for when things go from being safe to being disasters. Yes. So that 1.5, that's a threshold. Right. So he just said that 1.5 doesn't matter. Oh, oh, I see. Can I play that back? Yeah. Safe to being disastrous. Things just get worse as the temperature increases. Behind me here, we have right. a simple Sorry. graphic representing... ...for the landscape, ecosystems, and even our bodies. There's no threshold at which things go from safe to being disastrous. Things just get worse as the temperature increases. Huh. Behind me here, we have a simple... Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. That's very interesting. Should I keep playing? Uh, or did you have commentary? Uh, I mean, that was like the main thing I that wanted was main to thing. say. Oh, okay. Yeah. Probably could have clipped it at 30 seconds. Wow, that was well, phenomenal. you know, I had a whole thing. Um, I, uh, do the Sky News one. Okay. That one's fun. But 2023 was just so much warmer. Yes, now, there's a reason for that. Of course. Partly. And that's a big, powerful El Nino that's developing in the Pacific and will continue to develop through this year. That puts warmth that's stored in the oceans into the atmosphere. It gives global temperatures a boost. Uh, that's probably why it's just that much warmer but the trend is continuing and there are other factors too we saw very warm temperatures in the mediterranean and the atlantic ocean last year as well they've got nothing to do with el nino so it's not just about that when Wait, would we it? have hoped to i didn't catch this when i recorded it but okay so do you know what an el nino is like do you know the specifics of what makes an el nino it's a small man that <laughs> he likes just to do blows hot air at he different places in the world <laughs> And then he sucks the breath. air out of other places. 
Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Explain it. So it's it's with the ocean currents, I think. And it's it's Say it with confidence. Come okay. On. It's with the ocean currents. So it's the direction that the currents pull the okay, I might be this might be wrong, but like the sediment or the the water temperature. So in an El Nino, it's the the way the current goes, it pulls the hot water out, like the hot hot water. <laughs> God, dude. You know, the, <laughs> the hot water to the surface of the ocean, which then heats up the air, which then heats up temperatures of the winds that are being blown. And that's why the winds don't affect every place in the world. Right. So some places are extra hot. Some places are they have extra precipitation, which is how the winds are being blown like a La Nina, which is a really cold year that it's switched. So the currents flip flop. And now the cold water temperatures from the deeper ocean are being pulled up to the top. And then they're cooling down the winds, which then create a cooler temperature in the world. Mm. Right. So that's what happens. Um, can you play back like the last 10 seconds? Because I lost my train of and thought. And that's a saying. big, powerful El Nino that's developing in the Pacific and will continue to develop through this year. That puts warmth that's stored in the oceans into the atmosphere, gives global temperatures a boost. Uh, that's probably why it's just that much warmer. But the trend is continuing, and there are other factors too. We saw very warm temperatures in the Mediterranean and the Atlantic Ocean last year as well. They've got nothing to do with El Nino. So, so what do they? It's that's not what it was. Just about that. So, what, so what do they have to do with? Why are there warmer temperatures in the world that don't have anything to do with El Nino? I'm not sure. He doesn't say. Right. Why would why would the Mediterranean be warmer, but it's not because the whole world is warmer because of this El, El Nino? Anyways, keep it going. <laughs> when would we have hoped to see global temperatures plateau at least? I mean, clearly this is a, a standout year of, a, of an increase, but yeah. were we expecting and... Can we accept a small increase for the next couple of years? When, when does it need to turn? We, right now, we can't expect that to happen anytime soon because as things stand, we are putting carbon dioxide emissions and methane global greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere at an increasing rate. Now, there is some hints that that might peak in the coming few years. If emissions from China, for example, there's some evidence they might peak quite soon, we might see a downward trend in emissions, then we might start to see temperatures responding. But there will be quite a delay in how they do. So currently we're on course for um, you know, one and a half degrees within the next... Uh, sorry, when I say one and a half degrees, I mean that will be the, the, the steady average across the globe um, over de decade-long periods when we reach one and a half degrees globally. We could hit that within a decade or so, and then things as they currently stand will, of course, for about three degrees of warming, which is obviously a situation that we can't uh, except mm -hmm. that's why there's so much urgency and fuss about how do we work now to start to limit emissions to avoid every year being like last year, sometime in the next decade or two. And by the end of this century, we, we, we're on course to see, uh, you know, t t uh, temperatures Boy, below. Okay, this guy dragged on. Dude, no, he has no idea what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, it sounds like it. And can... you know what his credentials are? What? Sky News's science and technology editor. What is, nice. Okay. He has no idea what he's, he's talking a, about. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, what he's referring to of what I didn't say is that 2023 was recorded as the hottest year. Um, like 
because they measure it off of the hottest July day, which is the hottest point in the year. And it was the hottest in recorded history, which is only about 100 years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Same like 120 soil, 120 years of soil uh, information. And they're saying it's the average has reached about... 1.5 degrees Celsius. So apparently we're already there, but it's going to take many, many decades. And it's all due to global warming. Well, can I change topics since uh, I think we've beaten the bush on this one? Yeah. Okay, we're moving on. Um, (laughs) I want to go into, it's a good story. Uh, I want to go with some distractions uh, that have occurred in these past few days. Uh, You all might have heard that uh, I'm a recently, what did I write? I said a Iranian-backed militia member. From your drone. Who flies a drone, but I'm currently lounging on my drone chair. Um, We got some special reports from a few companies. Uh, They're all the same, but uh, each with a slightly different take on it. Tonight, U.S. authorities now saying this will be a multi-target, multi-day operation. The White House saying just moments ago the strikes tonight have been successful and that all aircraft is now out of harm's way. ABC's chief White House correspondent, Mary Bruce, leading us off tonight. Tonight, the powerful retaliation the U.S. had promised, unleashing a major counterstrike on Iran-backed militants in Iraq and Syria, a direct response to the drone attack that killed three American soldiers and injured more than 40 on a remote U.S. base in Jordan. The U.S. saying the airstrikes began at 4 p.m., hitting 85 (coughs) targets in seven locations inside Iraq and Syria, including command and control operations centers and intelligence hubs, taking out rockets, missiles, and attack drones belonging to militia groups and their Iranian sponsors, who facilitated attacks against U.S. and coalition forces. The U.S. dropping more than 125 precision munitions from multiple aircraft, including B-1 bombers that flew from the U.S. President Biden tonight saying this is the first wave of a response that will continue at times and places of our choosing. And warning, the United States does not seek conflict in the Middle East or anywhere else in the world. But let all those who might seek to do us harm know this. If you harm an American, we will respond. Notably, (laughs) none of today's strikes hit Iran directly. The president remains concerned, not wanting to start a wider war. Just hours before, a powerful reminder of the weight of these decisions. The president performing one of his most solemn duties as commander. But notice how quickly, how soft her voice gets uh, towards his last 30 seconds. Chief. Witnessing the dignified transfer of the three service members killed in Jordan. One by one, their flag-draped cases carefully carried across the tarmac. The president placing his hand over his heart alongside the first lady and defense secretary Austin, honoring the fallen. 46-year-old Sergeant William Jerome Rivers, who wanted to serve his country since he was a little boy, enlisting at the age of 34. I'm I this yeah it, it's a weird one in terms of did you have commentary oh I was just gonna say um if did you see the video footage of Biden at the uh the transfer the dignified did you really transfer? burp while you're trying to take over the mic I'm sorry oh my god I tried to direct it a different uh-huh. direction okay. um did you see no I didn't see it go on with it oh I <laughs> <Say> mean <laughs> Biden looked like he was trying to force tears <laughs> Oh yeah, no, he did look. I sad. don't know if that's just his crying face. I think that's face, just his face. But it, yeah, it was like you look like you're kind of trying to poop. <laughs> yeah, squeezing one out. Yeah, not to make light of the you know transfer, but um, 
That was kind of funny to watch. Well, I'm a little so I didn't clip that because the news had moved on from that from that portion of the of yeah. The they only line. really talked about it when as it was happening. Yes, like live the, footage. the drone strikes that occurred apparently was that uh, a drone um, was entering its airspace that was theirs, and so they they turned down the securities. And at the same time, there was another drone that was not theirs, and that's the one that attacked. So it was a we got you moment. Whether it's planned or not, I don't know how they know quickly to respond to respond that quickly to a drone entering one airspace that's and they're like oh the window's open to go attack now we're gonna go do it these these things are these drones in most cases unless it's something real real high end but just given the size of the space and and really its utility for what it does doesn't feel like it deserves that much um firepower and so they haven't quite confirmed which drone it was, but there are several drones that the Iranians, the Iranian-backed militia uses. Uh, and here is a, at least an example of three out of the four drones and their engine-propelling uh, uh, functionalities that they have. Real quick. What? These. This is the Houthis, right? No, they never said Houthis. No, we'll get into just. This let is me, a different group. Let me. Let me. Let me. Continue with that. Well, no, it's just interesting that there's not a name. They're going to give you a name. Just <sighs> God dang it. Let me set it up. <laughs> well, I'm trying okay, to get okay, there. Okay, go ahead. Let's play drone. the damn drone. The Al-Sahid weights around 220 kilogram, while the warhead could weight ranging from 5 to 35 kilograms. It all depends on the mission. All that weight is amazingly being powered by Amato MD-550. A 50-horsepower civilian engine, which makes it pretty slow. <coughs> this is a small moped engine, or scooter engine sourced from China, at a cheap price. Let us look at how it sounds like. It sounds like a lawnmower. <laughs> the soldiers on the battlefield reported it sounded like the World War II German planes, the Stuka. Interestingly, the Germans intentionally developed this siren, to create a psychological impact in the battlefield. And then they went up playing on play audio about it. But I just, I find it very hard to believe that they weren't aware. With how loud it is. With how loud it is. Right. And it's, it's like, it's not moving that fast. It's very slow. Well, it's a, it's, so it's like, just like a bigger recreational drone. Yeah. With, with a miss, with one, and they're not meant to return home. Do you These know? These ones are meant to, they're called kamikaze drones, oh if you will. Gosh, yeah. Um, do you know how fast they can go? I believe he said it, didn't he? Oh, or, I um, I will just... All that weight is amazingly being powered by a Motto MD-550. A 50-horsepower civilian engine, which makes it pretty slow. This is a small moped engine, or scooter engine. Like a you've been around a moped. So let's like let's a moped, just say yeah. like, like 40, 50 miles. Oh, not, yeah, barely. Barely. That's like, that's like, that's, that's like maxing full out. Full throttle. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very light. So it's, I just, I find that so strange. Could they have not have shot it down? Well, the, the point is that their air, def in further in that clip or in a different clip, they explained that the air defenses were, were dropped to let this one other U.S. drone land. Why would, what? Because a U.S. drone was landing onto their air base. Yeah, but you have to drop your air defenses. Sure, because for... it would have, I, I, sure, right? That, that's my, like, how can it not identify a U.S. drone versus a, uh, yeah. Versus an Iranian Because is it, it's drone. not as soon as something enters, it's automatically shot at. It's, don't you get like a decision like point? Some, like some sort of clearance type? Yeah. yeah. Something must occur. It, it can't just be that, that, um. Like how do other, um, 
places do it. Like things are flying in and out all the time. How do other uh, bases do it? I don't know. But but to me, logically, it, it would seem real stupid of them to like they're it's just up for everything the no worries uh everything gets shot down regardless yeah. of what it is so okay so i see what you're saying earlier <coughs> what are the odds too that the timing right was like so perfect right so it, it's mm-hmm. anyway um that was a quick explanation of the drone very loud uh mechanism now yes mm-hmm. but I, if the u.s drone sounds the same then i guess they could have said oh i, I don't know that though and i, I I, well, no, I find just, that really I'm hard just, to imagine that they strap something that loud. I'm, I'm just thinking of why they might have I'm gonna play the next missed clip. it. Okay. The U.S. strikes back hard in Iraq and Syria after the deadly drone attack that killed American troops in Jordan. The Pentagon confirmed U.S. forces launched retaliatory strikes that hit more than 85 targets at sites linked to Iranian-backed militias on Friday. The massive air assault happened just hours after the bodies of the three fallen soldiers returned to U.S. soil. President Biden joined grieving families for the dignified transfer at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware. Later, the president warned there will be more to come for those who seek to harm Americans. Christina Ruffini is at the White House and joins us now. Christina, good morning. Good morning, Dana. Well, the strikes lasted only about 30 minutes, and the Pentagon says it hit what it was aiming for. But the White House was aiming for a more elusive target, finding a way to retaliate against groups that killed Americans without causing the violence to spiral into a greater regional war. Hours after the bodies of three U.S. service members returned to American soil, America struck back, hitting seven facilities in Iraq and Syria, sites the White House says were used by Iran's Revolutionary Guard and other Iranian-backed militias. Following the strikes, President Biden issued a statement saying, if you harm an American, we will respond. The targets included command and control centers, weapons depots, and drone storage facilities. But the U.S. did not hit targets inside Iran, leery of escalating a wider regional conflict. You know, the goal here is to get these uh, attacks to stop. We are not looking for a war with Iran. In a call with reporters Friday evening, the administration said the strike specifically targeted groups that meant to do Americans harm. This wasn't just a message-sending routine tonight. This was about degrading capability. The response comes five days after a drone struck sleeping quarters and an American outpost in Jordan, injuring. Anyway, so injuring three uh, or injuring. Well, and that's the other thing is that they kept saying it was between 30 and 50 and everyone 30 and 75. So uh, and they never really clarified how many were actually injured. But I did find and as we'll hear in the next clip, I did find how interesting they all seem to touch of how uh, the dignified transfer of bodies. Which is really annoying term, and it seems kind of insulting. Uh, in a, I, just in the way it's phrased, a dignified return transfer of of the soldiers that that came back. But um, no, it just the only thing I keep pulling away from this is pulling out heartstrings and quick response. And the quick response one is the one I could at least target and find that um, I don't believe that's entirely truthful. It felt more convenient than it did um, uh, the need to respond immediately. Uh, so here's NBC. PBS does its own thing. They go nuts, but we'll we'll get to uh, PBS in a little bit. This one's kind of cool. This is an NBC News special report. Here's Lester Holt. Good day, everyone. We're coming on the air with breaking. I news. love that music, by the way. That's a real official. Sta- Are you there? Yeah, I'm listening. Oh, okay, you just you haven't said anything. I'm just surprised. I'm just letting you go off. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. 
This is an NBC News special report. Here's Lester Holt. Good day, everyone. We're coming on the air with breaking news. U.S. officials confirm that the U.S. has begun retaliatory strikes in the Middle East in response to the deadly attack that killed three American troops. The strikes come days after those service members were killed in a drone attack on a U.S. outpost in Jordan last weekend, marking the first American deaths since the Israel-Hamas war began. Dozens of other troops were also injured in the attack as well. Today's news also comes hours after President Biden... Wait, there were injured people during the Israel-Hamas attack? Injured U.S. Yeah. troops? Isn't that what he just said? Uh, well, on. he said there hasn't been any U.S. deaths since, since except for these three, which that feels wrong to me. Why, why is that? Because I, I feel like we... I, I don't have no evidence for any of this, but I feel like we've heard about U.S. The, so <clears throat> I'm not crazy. Death. Okay, so that's fine. There was one and I would have to dig up the clip, but I, I could have sworn it was an Iraqi base. If you remember, like when we for early, early on on the show where it was an Iraqi base that started this. Yeah. Like someone, one person died, I think, and like the rest injured. But apparently that's not true. I, but I could have sworn that came directly from the horse's mouth. No, I... I yeah, and I have no idea. I would not Why be able you, to find that. Did you look that up? Oh, okay. Oh, uh, that's fine. <laughs> I can try. Well, no, you just stated. That's fine. Well, well I mean, because, like, I don't... Okay, I'm going to keep playing. I just... That it feels wrong three, to me. Three American troops. The strikes come days after those service members were killed in a drone attack on a U.S. outpost in Jordan last weekend, marking the first American deaths since the Israel-Hamas war began. Dozens of other troops were also injured in the attack as well. Today's news also comes hours after President Biden performed one of the most solemn duties of the presidency today, attending the dignified transfer of the fallen troops at Dover Air Force Base honoring them before they are laid to rest. Our chief international correspondent, Keir Simmons, is on the ground right now in Iraq. What do we know at this hour, Keir? Well, that's the U.S. officials telling NBC. Oh, God, this guy, this guy, this guy, I feel like didn't get the script in time or the email didn't come in quick enough because he is he is ad libbing. I, I can't explain it, but he's just not bunned up in comparison to the other ones. Mm -hmm. News that retaliatory strikes have begun against Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria. This is from U.S. government sources. It's not an official announcement by the U.S. government, as I understand it, as I speak to you right now, uh, Lester. We did have, though, news... I guess about 30 minutes ago uh, that there was something happening in eastern uh, Syria uh, along the border, near the border with I Iraq, a, a place called Mayadin, which is uh, part of a strip that we know includes uh, encampments by four uh, Iranian-backed militias and also in that same area a well-known Iranian uh, base, uh, frankly run by the Iranians. So. Uh, whether that is connected to what we <laughs> just an just, Iranian base. Frankly, they're just they're, Iranians. They're, they're run just by you know. Iranians. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> oh, in that same area, a well-known Iranian uh, base, uh, frankly, run by the Iranians. So uh, whether that is connected to what we are hearing now from uh, Iranians these, are uh, involved. US it's very unusual because they're they're all. See, this is the only one that strike differently was that they were. They're, these guys are saying, uh, the ABC and CBS 
were both saying uh, just a militia group, right? And this one went out in full front and said, it, no, these, these are just straight up Iranians that are here. Sources, hard to tell. Uh, we will have to wait for more news because it is yeah. both Syria and Iraq that we're being told <laughs> that this strikes have begun. But of course, Lester, uh, this is what we have been expecting uh, for uh, days now. And we've got some kind of a picture of where the strikes may be. Uh, there are, frankly, multiple places that the Biden administration could choose to uh, target uh, tonight uh, across uh, Syria and Iraq. And then also very, very difficult judgments, Lester, for the Biden administration about how to do this in a way that sends a clear message to Tehran without overshooting, if you like, and causing a reaction from Tehran that, that escalates things towards a wider war. That is what the Biden administration... Well, saying they're just Iranians is definitely not an early start to that. That's you don't Yeah, yeah you definitely don't you provoke don't anyone by just ac randomly accusing that, no, they're just Iranians. Well, yeah, and labeling everything. Oh, oh <laughs> Iran has everything to do with this. Well, if you want to go even further, PBS did one that was pretty fun as well. It's the same yeah. thing. It's like they both got the same message or just were, were ad-libbing, but uh, they're a little more composed, but this is certainly just as weird. Okay. Welcome to the news hour. The U.S. has started a series of military strikes against Iranian-backed militias in both Syria and Iraq tonight. The bombing is in retaliation for an attack last weekend that killed three American soldiers and wounded dozens of others in Jordan. Nick Schifrin has been reporting on these fast-moving developments and joins us here now. So, Nick, what's the latest? What can you tell us? The U.S. military said it used 125 munitions on more than 85 targets across seven locations uh, in Iraq and Syria, and the targets included command and control and intelligence centers, as well as, as well as storage facilities with missiles, rockets, drones that these groups have been using to target U.S. soldiers. Uh, the National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said just a few minutes ago that these targets were specifically connected to attacks to U.S. troops in the region. There have been more than 160 attacks on U.S. troops across Iraq and Syria, including the one this weekend that killed three U.S. soldiers. Uh, but the targets tonight uh, went further than any U.S. strike that, that map right there were the attacks that these uh, proxy groups have launched against mm -hmm. U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. But what was significant about tonight's U.S. strikes is that the targets went beyond these proxy groups. The targets included the Quds Force. That is the part of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps that sponsors these groups that the U.S. says provides weapons, intelligence, and training to these groups. And what's significant about that is it's the first time in the last three months we've seen these attacks that the U.S. have attacked Iranians. These are Iranians, Iranian weapons, Iranian sites. Yes, they are connected to the proxy groups, but they are not the Iraqis and the Syrians who are actually pushing the button. These are Iranians. And that is the first time that we've seen that. Pretty wild, man. Well, yeah, especially with their use of proxy groups. Right like acting on behalf of someone else like Iran. <laughs> right, they're just straight up saying it's Iran now. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very unusual. That's uh I mean if we're ever going to if we're ever going to get if we're ever going to hit our, our mark, uh I I'm hope I'm not betting on anyone dies over this, but but it I just if every time you just hear it, it's like they're pushing and pushing and I do have I know, but then they pull it back and say, Oh, we don't want a war. Well, they're just saying that to save face, right? That, well, yeah, to say we never called for a war, right. but everything that they're doing is basically well, the news is it's pushing, that. you know, yes. hitting them with a stick. <laughs> well, just a quick reminder, uh this is uh the Wesley Clark the Clark's Wesley Clark seven, five countries, seven countries in five years. 
Hold on, we'll go back. staff who used used to work for me, and one of the generals called me in. He said, "Sir, you gotta come in. You gotta come in and talk to me a second. I said, "Well, you're too busy." He said, "No, no." He says, "We've made the decision. We're going to war with Iraq." This was on or about the 20th of September. I said, "We're going to war with Iraq. Why?" He said, "I don't know." <laughs> he said, "I guess they don't know what else to do." So uh, I said, well, did they find some information collect connecting Saddam to al-Qaeda? He said, no, no. He says, there's nothing new that way. They just made the decision to go to war with Iraq. He said, I guess it's like we don't know what to do about terrorists, but we've got a good military and we can take down governments. And um, he said, I guess if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem has to look like a nail. So I came back to see him a few weeks later. And by that time, we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk, he picked up a piece of paper, and he said, I just, he said, I just got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense's office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq, and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. I said, is it classified? He said, yes, sir. I said, <laughs> I said, well, there well, you go. I don't know, man. It, they've certainly hit everything. Every single one on that list except Iran. Yeah. And they're definitely calling for it now. They're, well, yeah. I didn't want to play more extreme clips of like John Bolden from Fox or just correspondence. Well, of, yeah, like, the war. We need blood and death immediately today. Mm -hmm. uh, here is TRT that really kind of explained why they responded so quickly. The U.S. military. The U.S. had signaled for days that retaliatory airstrikes against Iranian-backed militias were coming, and on Friday night, they did. 85 targets located at seven facilities in Iraq and Syria were struck, including command and control operations, intelligence gathering centers, and supply chain facilities of Iran's Revolutionary Guard and their proxy militias. These targets were carefully selected to avoid civilian casualties and based on uh, a clear, irrefutable evidence that they were connected to attacks on U.S. personnel in the region. The White House says it informed Iraq beforehand about the strikes, but Baghdad has responded angrily, calling them a violation of its sovereignty. U.S. President Joe Biden had demanded repeatedly that Iran and its militias had to stop targeting U.S. service members in Iraq and Syria. More than 165 attacks since October. But last weekend's deaths of three U.S. soldiers in Jordan made the retaliatory action a foregone conclusion. There's a huge effort here to make sure that um, as few lines are harmed as possible and that it's mostly about degrading capacity and sending messages, uh, just as they were doing with the Houthis. In a statement after the strikes began, Biden said, if you harm an American, we will respond. Adding, our response began today. It will continue at times and places of our choosing. This could uh, launch the big war. I mean, if you hit the wrong targets in the wrong way and people get angry enough, look at the Americans right now. They were hit 
harder and they're hitting back harder. And that's the tit for tat escalation that can sometimes do unpredictable things. The strikes started shortly after those three American service members' bodies were returned to the U.S. in a ceremony attended by President Biden, although the military says the timing of the strikes was related to the weather, not this ceremony. And now the world waits to see how Iran and its proxies will respond. Andy Rose. And so uh, it's uh, there's another clip I'll play, and this will be the last one of the segment. But again, <coughs> sorry, this uh, I don't know. This very, I mean, it's not a distraction per se because it's right in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no, I mean, we've been ugh, just a couple notes I wrote down over these clips. Um, aside from the deaths, which are if uh, I'm going to assume they're true, right? And I feel like that would be very disrespectful to say that they're not. Um, None of these, none of these attacks have been terribly different. I mean, they've been attacking military bases forever, for mm-hmm. a while since we've been there. Um, it's still affecting supply chains. Uh, the Houthis have done their own part with U.S. Navy ships with their boats there. I it just it feels like while they're attacking us, it feels like we've we've been starting that by kicking the hornet's nest to begin with. By yeah. allowing Israel to do what they're doing, right, and essentially running loose to some extent, which there seems to be no coverage of what's going on in Israel outside of of a couple liberal uh, liberal news sites per se. Yeah, they're not really talking about it anymore. No, aside from protests and and protesting, still about just the same. Uh, I mean, there's constant protests in Seattle. There's protests still on college campuses. I mean, they, they have not necessarily stopped uh, the Genocide Joe movement, right? So here is first post. Uh, I've been listening to more of the Turkish and Indian news stations, which have been actually quite interesting because they offer a bit more balance. Granted, Turkey is uh, is probably a bit more biased towards, towards Muslims than they would be towards uh, just news reporting, which is fine because they're probably government-owned. But it's at least one side of it that that uh, the reason why they attacked was weather related or the reason why they responded so quickly was more of weather related. Mm-hmm. And First Post tends to back that up. All that we know right now is this. They will strike multiple targets over a number of days. And what are these targets? Facilities and personnel linked to Iran. These could be militia forces, groups that are funded, armed and trained by Iran's Revolutionary Guard Force. And will the U.S. put any boots on the ground? Boots. Well, they already have troops in the region, but it's unlikely that they'll mobilize forces for this operation, at least not immediately. And when do they plan to strike? Reports say a lot depends on the weather. They want clear skies for better visibility to avoid striking civilians. So safe to assume that drones could be deployed for this operation. But why does the U.S. feel the need to conduct an operation like this? To avenge the death of their soldiers. On Sunday, there was an attack. An American outpost was targeted in Jordan. It, was, it is called Tower 22. It's a logistics hub in Jordan, close to the borders with Iraq and Syria. There are about 350 U.S. officers there. On Sunday, they were struck by a drone. Three American soldiers died. Another 34 were wounded. So it was a major strike, and it has put pressure on Joe Biden. He is facing demands to deliver a strong retaliatory response against what they call radical groups backed by Iran. In fact, they're after a specific group. Listen to this. We believe that the, uh, uh, the attack in Jordan was, uh, was uh, planned, resourced, and facilitated by an umbrella group called the Islamic Resistance there in Iraq. That, that one. 
the Islamic <sighs> resistance of Iraq. Was, well, I guess uh, we'll let it play out first. Sorry. Was uh, planned, resourced, and facilitated by an umbrella group called the Islamic Resistance in Iraq. The Islamic Resistance of Iraq, that's the group the Americans are after. It is an umbrella group covering all Iran-backed militias in Iraq. But they aren't the only ones attacking American troops. Since October last year, U.S. forces have faced multiple attacks in the region. In Syria and Iraq alone, U.S. bases have been targeted 160 times. They're battling what's called the Axis of Resistance. It's a military alliance built by Iran to push back against Americans and Israelis. Now, there's a large network of militias spread out across this region. In Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Gaza, and Yemen. Right now, this entire region is a hotspot. Missiles have been raining here. Since October last year, the U.S. has struck three countries, Yemen, Syria, and Iraq. And how many strikes in all? At least 61. These strikes were supposed to be for deterrence. They wanted Iranian proxies to stop targeting American troops. But the attacks continue, unabated. And where is Iran in all oh, of okay, this? Oh, okay, here we go. So a couple things. Um... To start with, the Islamic resistance of Iraq, right? Uh, that is one. There is also the Islamic resistance of Syria. Now, I didn't clip these because these were four days ago at this rate, and I, I just it perplexes me that that every every terrorist group that we have has a, a an abbreviation. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Al Qaeda, well, it didn't, um, but the new one, ISIS, uh, the Islamic State. Uh, I forget what ISIS stands for now. That's embarrassing. Uh, the Islamic State or something, right? Uh, this one is the ROI, Islamic Resistance of Iraq, and then there will be the Islamic Resistance of Syria, uh, as well as the Islamic Resistance of Yemen. And under those under those countries that have these backed Houthi rebels or these backed or these Iranian-backed militias, follow under the axis of resistance. Um, I just again, it's it's like they're setting up the building blocks to agitate these groups to 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 essentially um, well, to yeah. frame them as the enemy for one, right? And they're all linked, yeah, and correct. It's all backed by Iran, which conducts all of it, directs all of it, is how they're phrasing it, right? Yes, of course. And so and so hearing um, and and building them into this into this group, and they're essentially well, not that they aren't weren't already radicalized, but certainly coming to the point of agitation. Um, there is one thing that I kept hearing and I, I didn't want to clip this part because it, it just, it always annoys me, um, probably the translation, but I just, I take this news source a bit more seriously just because it's it's India for God's sake. I mean, it's next to Rancher, but they're, they're kind of out of the picture per se. Uh, so they have a bit more insight or at least a bit more, um, just more... Like neutral? Yeah, more neutral, just this is what we observe. And so then they clip... Uh, Iran and what they were saying, uh, and take it for what you will. I guess we'll just we'll give it a we'll give it a listen. Will it be sucked into this war? How much control does Iran have on these proxy groups, and can it stop their? And attacks? I think that's an excellent question, because it, to some extent, yeah, they sure they might be Iranian back, but they might be telling them to stop. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, how much control? Do, yeah, exactly what she asked. How much control do they really have of right. these groups? Or are these groups acting? Agitated, Separately. yes, and agitated to the extent of like, you well, know, especially when they this. keep getting you know these retaliatory bombings or drone attacks or whatever. So I mean, I, yes, it makes sense that 
at some point they might stray from where they originally started. Correct. And they might not listen anymore. And it's, well, no, we're going to we're going to attack them back because they attacked us because we attacked them, you know. And they attacked Gaza. So yeah, we're not we going to listen. Right. You know? And they're, they're, yes. So we'll keep playing. So far, the response from Tehran has been measured. Without alienating these groups, it is distancing itself from their actions. When American troops were attacked in Jordan, Iran was quick to declare that it did not order the strikes. And then again, Tehran reminded Washington that it was not looking for war. The common chapter between you and us is that we know each other. You know that we do not leave any threats unanswered. While we are not looking for war, we are not afraid of war, and we do not run away from it. This is the same message as the U.S. Now the war. Yes. You know, we're not looking for war, but if it shows up at our door, we're not going to like shy from it. But on the but on the grand scheme of things, who's going to mess who up first and pretty well, hard? Exactly. The, the U.S. is probably gonna you're screw just going to show up on each other's door. Yeah. But then you know it's. I, I feel like they don't have they have an obligation to back these groups because that's that's what they've been doing for years. Right. But at the same time, they don't want to get involved. Well, it feels like given the Wesley Clark seven that worked, we essentially have to follow that as by. I mean, he was in the military. Why would he say something? So and, and unfortunately, his while it's not in five years, it certainly is happening. Right. All those seven countries well, except a, Iran have been yeah. attacked and 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 rebelized or neutralized right to the most extreme yes it, it is a, it's a too much of a coincidence right. to to ignore it so it was just very unusual um it, and you can see it again on 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 the youtubes and and the internets it's uh it's world war three is happening how many times have we heard that right or that mm-hmm. it's approaching based off of it so i i don't know but uh this feels major a uh, major distraction in my opinion uh at least in the sense that they're not they're not really going to do that much different than what they've already done unless, you know, another another big headline comes in that they not only attacked a base, but they out, you know, they took over a base or whatever. So something of that nature. Yeah. So we'll we'll keep our eyes peeled. I'm sure something else will come up in the next week or in the next month. Um, you got you got other videos or uh, other clips? clips? I do. I, I see some I see some uh I see some linkage that maybe we should attempt oh, okay. to do. Uh, I do think, though, we should wait on that one. So if you don't mind, I would like to cover something else uh, if I have it. Oh, my God. Oh, it? and I do want to. I did look up for the American deaths. Yes. Um, so according to The Washington Post in like a couple weeks ago, they said that. On the October 7th attack, there were 32 Americans. They don't specify if they were troops or if they were just citizens um, that were killed by Hamas. Um, at least 10 were taken hostage. And then separately, there was 23 that were killed and 21 of those were served in the IDF, the Israel um, but those aren't defense Americans. force. No, they are American citizens, but they served in the Israeli yeah, military. Yeah, no. What I'm thinking about, there was one specific for yeah. Iraq, an Iraq base that was strictly a military base. It had nothing okay. to do with the IDF. But but I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing. My point is. I, but you and I both remember that. Uh, we'll have to dig up the clip. At no, some I point. know. I just it's a very basic search. I'm not. Yes. Uh, I'm going to continue okay. if you don't mind. Yeah, I just wanted to give a. That's fine. Um, on the other hand, as we see, uh, as we see this wonderful little 
little point in the news that people were freaking out about, uh, I do see that there is a, a bigger, and maybe that is the distraction, because that that maybe this is what they're keeping under wraps, even though it's just a stupid claim. Um, we have uh, CNBC and uh, a bipartisan group of people get together and and figure out how to defend the world. Take a look at the composition and membership of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and imagine, if you will, there's anything we could agree on unanimously. These five bills were the object of agreement. One of these bills is by Stop CSAM Act. Critically, it would let victims sue online providers that promote or aid and abet online child sexual exploitation. Oh, sorry. To be clear, this is uh, <laughs> this is also uh, the the reason for the Senate hearing is to have to break really just lash the the social media companies uh for oh what this is what that one's for yes correct but they bring all of the they, they the bring heads, they bring head, yes head the, guys. the big wigs of tiktok facebook uh was uh instagram Inst- there? yeah instagram snapchat no instagram's part of facebook uh oh, right. instagram oh, damn it Savannah. uh facebook tiktok um all the, the whole discord, discord yeah the, the main one. The, the big guys yes i'm gonna keep playing okay or that host or store csam this stand against online child sex, sexual exploitation is bipartisan and absolutely necessary. Let this hearing be a call to action. <coughs> we need to get kids' online safety legislation to the president's desk. I now turn to the ranking member, Senator Graham. This is the concern, by the way, kids' safety legislation, not not the schools or the education board that needs to get abolished uh, for, for what they're producing now as as indoctrination right of of very leftist if not marxist thinking but just what kids are seeing but just what kids are seeing on the internet yes correct uh thank you mr chairman uh the republicans will answer the call wait i'm sorry yes 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 yes. what a douche to the president's desk i now turn to the ranking member senator graham uh thank you mr chairman uh the republicans will answer the call all of us we're here is ready to work with you and our Democratic colleagues on this committee to prove to the American people while Washington is certainly broken, there's a ray of hope. And it is here. If there's one thing we can do is strip away more of your rights. It lies with your children. After years of working on this issue with you and others, I've come to conclude the following. Social media companies, as they are currently designed and operate, are dangerous products. They're destroying yes. lives. You don't say. <laughs> well, no, I don't even think it's dangerous. Why would it, oh, let's let's finish? Well, what they're how they're describing that is dangerous. Yeah. Threatening democracy itself. These companies must be reined in, or the worst is yet to come. Mm-hmm. To all the victims who came and showed us photos of your loved ones, don't quit. It's working. Oh. You're making a difference. Through you, we'll get to where we need to go so other people won't have to show a photo of their family. The damage to your family has been done. Hopefully, we can take your pain and turn it into something positive so nobody else has to hold up a sign. You know, Gavin, Lindsey Graham doesn't do well live. Uh, this is very, like, he's kind of shaky. I don't know if you hear him. But, like, in the 60 Minutes clip, which I guess I'll play later, uh, very, you know, very scripted, very quick read script. It seems like he's, like, ad-libbing this one and speaking to the to the real folks of the U.S. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, he's representing the whole Republican Party. That's right. Okay. 
son got online to Instagram. The Instagram. And Did he really call it that? Yeah, he, yeah. Was tricked by a group in Nigeria. Nobody else has to hold up a sign. <clears throat> Gavin, son, got online to Instagram, Instagram and was tricked by a group in Nigeria that put up a young lady posing to be his girlfriend. And as things go at that stage in life, he gave her some photos, uh, compromising sexual photos, and it turned out that she was part of a, a extortion group in Nigeria. They threatened the young man that if you don't give us money, we're going to expose these photos. He gave them money, but it wasn't enough. <laughs> how did he get the money? They kept. How old is how this much, kid? How much? Yeah, right. How old is this kid? How much money? Jeez. <laughs> Do you ask his parents? Can I get an advance on my allowance <laughs> yeah. for like ten years? <laughs> for ten years, yeah. Threatening. That is true. Let's him. let's just assume. Sorry, he killed himself. I uh, know that's 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 the the <laughs> terrible part. But <laughs> let's just assume. So. How much? Fifty dollars? Hundred dollars? Hundred. This is horrible. We should keep playing. <laughs> They threatened Mr. Guffey and a son. These are bastards by any known definition. Uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. Yes. You have a yes. product that's killing yes. people. When we had cigarettes killing people, we did something about it, maybe not enough. You're going to talk about guns. We have the ATF. That's right. Nothing here. There's not a damn thing anybody can do about it. You can't be sued. Now, Senator Blumenthal and Blackburn, who've been like the dynamic duo here, have found emails from your company where they warned you about this stuff, and you decided not to hire 45 people that could do a better job of policing this. So the bottom line is you can't be sued. You should be. And these emails would be great for punitive damages. But the courtroom's closed to every American abused by all the companies in front of me. Of all the people in America we could give blanket liability protection to, this would be the last group I would pick. It is yeah. now time Here we go. to repeal Section 230. Section 230. All right. Well, we'll go back into Lindsey Graham in a minute. Uh, I got to remember the timestamp on that, 356. Uh, do you know what Section 230 is, Savannah? I do not. Would you like to inform me? Yes. At the heart of Section 230 is the issue of content moderation. Content platforms, including social media companies, could make some big changes if they're made to assume responsibility for their users' posts. So, Julie... Why should I care about yeah, it? Well, I mean, be. everybody who uses the internet should care yeah. about this, right? So Section 230 has been a hot topic of discussion, not ever since it was created, but almost, right? It was part of the 1996 Telecommunications Act, uh, really in the early days of the internet, and based on some court cases that happened around that time. And as Alexis was just talking about, it is designed to protect uh, the hosts of content from being held liable for that content. So here's the text that was in Section 230 that really everybody talks about. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or, of spe or speaker of information provided by another information content provider. In other words, if I 
type something on the internet and send it out there or post a video, et cetera, the host of that content cannot be held liable. That's basically what this said. So just to put a little bit of a fine point on it here, if you talk about the analog world, the world in which I am standing right now, and you look at some things that are like that, if, for example, I'm a bookstore, or I own a newsstand. I cannot be held liable for the books that I sell or the papers that I sell at my establishment. That is precedent in some court cases where the Supreme Court or other courts ruled that if I have, for example, what is deemed an offensive book that I'm selling at my bookstore, I can't be expected Wait, to know it. the contents of every yes. book. You, that's that's not a correct analogy. No. Because it, it wouldn't be the books that you are selling because you pick the books that you sell in your bookstore it exactly. would be the books that other people come and sell through your bookstore right that's the wrong analogy nice okay good <laughs> carry on <laughs> in my bookstore or every newspaper i like the, the, that that that's what sparks your goat right now is like you you are an avid reader anyways uh all of a sudden the, <laughs> yeah, the you, bookstore you reference really and got you fired up <laughs> tune in <laughs> so that's what precedent had said so they are not liable for speech or for speech that is seen as offensive publishers however can be held liable so if i publish a book that is deemed as offensive or if i publish a newspaper that has libel for example or lies about someone well, or, or okay, knowingly something that because is you have editors right. you have people who comb through it and that's your brand right but facebook is just a collection of people posting shit it's not on behalf of facebook right it's i mean i'm not like i'm not swaying in one direction of whether or not it should still exist the well no liability. it should be left up to the individual well no i know and yes i think there should still be there should be more parameters put in place why in social media because well in terms of like editing uh, see okay but that's a very fine line in terms of what they deem you're blurring the lines i know and that's exactly what they're doing i know okay so, so that's why I'm, I'm taking it back a bit but it what she's talking about is not accurate. What, in what way? Like all these analogies of okay, like. Okay, but but ignore the the point of this of this explanation at two thirty was the idea that you that social media companies should be or can be held liable if you repeal two thirty. I thought two. Th okay, so two thirty says they are not reliable. They want to get rid of liable. it and say social media companies are liable. Yes. So then they would then Hence they would police post more. Yes. They would under have to. under the government supervision of what they would like to do. So what has been happening recently with the policing of posts would just be an extreme version of it, because well, social media companies don't want to well, be right sued now, for anything, so they would police everything. The of what the government mandates. That's what they're getting at. Okay, so the government would. Oh, okay. Oh my god. I see. Okay. No, geez. no, no. It's sorry. All right. Well, I, I understand your, now. Your bookstore tripped so, you so, up. I should have picked that one up too. No. So the so the government. So so the government would have the final say. Is what they want, That's or what, what this said. this repeal would then lead to? Yes. I'm going to continue well, on. He didn't with, say it so obviously. Well, I thought of it would course be, not. I thought it'd be very obvious. And, you know, I got held up in the analogy. I know I could see that. Uh, yeah. I need to find that certain clip. Liability protection Here we go. too. This would be the last group I would pick. It is now time to repeal Section 230. This committee is made up of ideologically most different people you could find. We've come together through your leadership, Mr. Chairman, to pass five bills 
to deal with the problem of exploitation of children. I'll talk about them uh, in depth in a little bit. The bottom line is all these bills have met the same fate. They go nowhere. They leave the committee and they die. Now, there's another approach. What do you do with dangerous products? You either allow lawsuits, you have statutory protections to protect consumers, or you have a commission of sorts to regulate the industry in question, to take your license away if you have a license, to fine you. None of that exists here. We live in an America in 2024 where there is no regulatory body dealing with the most profitable, biggest companies in the history of the world. They can't be sued, and there's not one law on the book that's meaningful protecting the American consumer. Other than that, we're in a good spot. So here's what I think is going to happen. I think after this hearing today, we're going to put a lot of pressure on our colleagues, leadership of the Republican Democratic Senate, to let these bills get to the floor and vote. And I'm going to go down, starting in a couple of weeks, make unanimous request, uh, unanimous consent request to do CSAM, do the Earn It Act, do your bill, do all the bills, and you can be famous, come and object. I'm going to give you a chance to be famous. Now, Elizabeth Warren and Lindsey Graham have almost nothing in common. I promised her yes, I they would do. that publicly. Yes, they do. The only thing worse than me doing a bill with Elizabeth Warren is her doing a bill with me. These guys are snakes, man. They're, well, he's they're putting on an actor they're, now. They're, 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 they're snakes. I mean, listen, this is another one from 60 Minutes that will play in just a second. Now, Holly Williams on assignment for 60 Minutes. The U.S. Yeah. has sent more than $70 billion worth of aid to Ukraine since Russian troops crossed its border last year. But now a battle back in 2014. While in Kyiv, we learned that three of McCain's former colleagues were also in town. Democratic Senators Elizabeth Warren and Richard Blumenthal and Republican Senator Lindsey Graham. They don't normally agree no. on much. Together, though, they're some of the staunchest supporters of U.S. funding for Ukraine's resistance. They're on track to break the Russian army. And the only way they could possibly lose is if we pull the plug on them. The wreckage of Russia's war machine was on display for Ukraine's Independence Day okay. celebrations. But so that's, that's, that's so, the point. So it's not, yeah, it's not accurate. It's, this is not accurate we don't agree on anything. They don't agree on anything. They just pull that out as soon as they want to get support well, from both sides, Listen, right? whenever a bipartisan bill is passed, do you really think it's in the benefit of us? It, where, where the two actually decide to, to do something or to not do it, right? And that might be deliberate as well. I think that's that's also a good way of viewing it. Uh, to intentionally not solve the problems, to just let things run free. Mm -hmm. And or when there is an opportunity to get together and potentially uh, censor the group, uh, that is the American people, um, they'll go ahead and do so, or at least attempt to. And and the hearing was kind of garbage. It was, I was a little disappointed because most of, most of the headlines were U.S. Senator grills TikTok CEO over his Chinese connection. Yeah. Uh, TikTok CEO denies links with the Communist Party of China. I'm a Singaporean. U.S. Senate hearing. Um, and again, it's like these these stories are are nonsense. In the same in the same idea, right? Where you have TikTok that's essentially monitored by Oracle, which in Oracle, if if you don't know Savannah, and that that is well documented based on the CEO of Oracle, that. 
they're very happy to to host and and let the CIA and let the NSA monitor Oracle uh, servers that are there, which TikTok has to do right in order to be in the United States and and do business here. They have to be monitored because they're they were a Chinese company. Now they're bought off by a U.S. company or U.S. owned at this rate here in here in the United States, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, but just again, it's the. This is what they're focusing on, not not the idea and 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 or deliberately letting it happen. Right. Of of people um, of, of people letting their kids go on TikTok and 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 Snapchat when in reality, don't you think maybe that the parents should be the ones that are responsible for the for the children's actions, not the government, which is why I got annoyed at you to begin with uh, of this uh, Section 230. Me? Well, yeah, I mean, this is not an attack on you, but this is an attack on on parents directly. It's. The concept that you're letting your kids be on on Instagram and social media and it's harmful to them. Well, yeah, but then take away their phone or do something well, that's else. That's the thing. And that goes with a lot of things that the government is trying to pass or has passed in the in the past is that parents want to give away the responsibility of parenting yes. to the government. And the government's more than willing to take it, right? Because it's more control. It's more say that they have over everything that happens, especially with a future generation, a future voting generation. So parents willingly want to give away, you know, oh, I don't have to worry about it. The government's going to control it. It's fine, you know, versus they have a lot of control over what happens in their house. A lot of them might not think that (laughs) or want to do anything with that. But I mean, the more you give away to the government, the less control you have. So it's just a downward, downward fall. (laughs) But yes, you don't, you know, your kid can't go on Instagram if they don't have a phone. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Right. Why do they, you know, especially middle schoolers, why do they need a phone? You know, why do they need a a smartphone? You know, you can get a flip phone and you don't have to worry about the Instagram thing or TikTok or whatever. Well, or teach them to not fall for traps. (laughs) Like. Don't send nudies to a Nigerian group. (laughs) Nudies? Ew. I didn't like that you said that. What other word would you use? Exploitive images. Exploitative. Yeah, you got it. Images. Yeah. Underage. Okay. Um, So, I don't know. Just a little bit to grab about. There's really, I mean, just felt like a bunch of nonsense this week. Uh, There is one, though, and I think we'll wrap it up with this one. Oh, I have one to wrap it up with. Uh, Yeah, I think it's, I think we're going to do the same thing, pal. Oh, so, I doubt it. Okay, no, 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 no. Uh, it's this is not like a fun clip. This is a this is another me complaining. This this episode has been carried by Jorge, and he is just complaining for most of this episode right now. If you don't mind, I'm gonna play some PBS if you don't if uh, if that's okay with you. PBS Kids. Oh. <laughs> On Sunday, the Kansas City Chiefs upset the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC Championship game, but some of the attention was focused on one person in the stands, that's singer Taylor Swift. And as Laura Barone Lopez reports, major right-wing conspiracies are now revolving around the music icon and her football star boyfriend. Our song is a slam From country sweetheart, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, to pop icon and billionaire megastar. We all know Taylor Swift openly perpetuates all the mainstream liberal talking points. Now, the center of a right-wing conspiracy theory. They're gearing up for an operation to use Taylor Swift in the election. Now, the women who run the Biden campaign want to set the big guy up. 
the most unpopular president of all time, wants to have a relationship with Taylor Swift. That's what practice was about. It was about practicing the script. A year ago, a conspiracy took off when a former Texans running back joked that the NFL was scripted. This is not a this is not a new this is not a new conspiracy theory, by the way. This is no. this has been a theory that I've been talking about for a while. That's uh, I mean, since the inception of the NFL, that's that's what's uh, that's what has been rumored to be. Um, they're also listed under WWE. The way the WWE is formatted as an entertainment business is the same way that the NFL is. So, well, it is a sporting event, though. So, are all sporting events listed as entertainment? What is there not a separate category for not sporting events? Well, or I are believe they all the NBA listed? says something a little different. They, um, they're under something separate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then on Sunday, the Kansas City Chiefs upset the Baltimore Ravens, fueling lies that the NFL changed the script to capitalize on these two, Taylor Swift and her boyfriend, Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey. It's a coordinated marketing campaign by Democrats to leverage celebrities to excite their base into coming out and voting. And more recently, a new element was added to the conspiracy theory. Right-wing news pundits are now calling the Swift-Kelsey spectacle a psychological operation. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just quoting a meme, by the way. That's, that's just what they say. Yeah. This is, yeah whatever. By Democrats to give Biden a big boost in his re-election bid. We live in a world that is animated by chaos for the most part, and conspiracy theories help explain that chaos. Researcher Joan Donovan has been studying online disinformation for years. She says conservatives are using this conspiracy to critique Biden, stay relevant, and animate their followers. But over on the right wing, I think what they're anticipating on X and uh, is really that Taylor Swift, who had endorsed Joe Biden in 2020, <laughs> is likely to continue to endorse him. I think deeper uh, in in a historical sense, the conspiracy theories about the NFL are also very pertinent amongst the right wing because of all of the history that has gone on with Black Lives Matter and Good Colin Lord. Kaepernick. So it is a, a definite uh, draw for this audience to critique. I the don't NFL. recall. I mean, yes, people boycotted for for Kaepernick not kneeling, but it wasn't for the Black Lives Matter. It was for the no. kneeling. Uh, and even then, it was like it's such a well, small. Well, it got grouped in with it. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think that was his intention. I'm but so, of course, whose intention? Colin Kaepernick's. T- for people to boycott the NFL? No, for it to be grouped in with the Black Lives Matter. Yes, he did. Wait. Okay, I'm gonna keep playing. You're off no. one today, pal. I'm, I'm just. I'm. No, I'm giving I, you a warning. I mean, that Fair wasn't shot for over the bow. Not good. There was there was two groups of people. They had two completely different intentions in joining. Or boycotting. What do you mean? Uh, never mind. This is not the main story. <laughs> and what they represent in terms of U.S. culture. And conservative figures like former presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy chimed in, tweeting, I wonder who's going to win the Super Bowl. And I wonder if there's a major presidential endorsement coming from an artificially, culturally propped up couple this fall. Donovan <laughs> says over time, conspiracy theories feed on each other. Once you search for that kind of conspiracy on a place yes. like YouTube, the recommendation algorithms are going to keep rewarding and reinforcing that behavior. So it actually becomes very hard to leave a conspiracy theory uh, behind because of the way social media is ordered 
unfortunately, what it does to our mainstream media ecosystem is it forces you to respond as a journalist because so many people are talking about it. But I do think there's room for social media companies to look more closely at their yep. algorithms and see what it is that they're reinforcing. Uh, so, that so they can't have an opinion. Well, yeah, so they're policing it. Yes, repeal Section 230. Get rid of it. There's yeah. no reason why we should have these stupid conspiracy theorists of, of just thinking, having an opinion about something, whether it's humorous yeah. or not. Don't even let the algorithm. Don't even let them it. see it. Disgusting. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, fringe conversations don't become fodder for mainstream but who's news. to say there's no truth said, to some of that well sure right but, it, but yes and i have my gripe with with the republicans as well with their own thoughts and ideas of sure but I mean, that goes for every person every group there's always you know the presentation or there's false fat not facts but like there's falsehoods in there but like who's to say there's no there's not a some form of truth and then you're just writing it off as a conspiracy theory right especially if you don't want that theory out there if it's true COVID came <laughs> from a lab <laughs> right it's facts related to big cultural or political events like the biden campaign hoping for another swift endorsement and the Swift-Kelsey relationship being worth millions in brand value for the NFL. I, what I don't, what, what finds, what I found so humorous about this was, was how quickly like they were kind of connecting the, the the dots of like, yeah, they're like major brand deals occurred when like as soon as she got, you know, into the NFL with this, uh, with Travis Kelsey. Well, and it's like, she's seen it every game. She's seen it every game. They, they show her, there's ads right after it. It's like, okay. And they're, yeah. they're saying that they're like, yeah, she's made a lot of money. It's like. Yeah, it's kind of like it's not weird, but it's like, yeah, all right, come on, <laughs> come on. Just, yeah, just a like little there's, bit. There's there's people who are benefiting off of this. Yes. And why would why would they not then promote it more? Like push it. Right. We shift into a full blown conspiracy oh, theory. Terrible. At any rate, fans still hope to see Swift in the stands on yeah, Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, at the end of the Sunday. day, no one gives a shit. The, it's oh <laughs> my gosh. Well, no. So there are so many people because. <coughs> So for the Super Bowl, because mm -hmm. cause the Chiefs are playing in it now. Um, there, oh, there's also another theory <laughs> that because the last time the Chiefs and the 49ers played in the Super Bowl was in 2020. And that was also when Trump and Biden were going against each other, which is likely going to be this election again. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's just a repeat of everything. Um, but because she's Taylor Swift is performing in Japan which is why she couldn't do the halftime show. People are like, how fast can she get from Japan to the Super Bowl? Like all these things. It's an, it's ad. It's there. It's ad. It's there's profit off of all uh, of this. Sure. It's all promotion for these people and people who are involved. And anyways, I, I do have my gripe with this, uh, with at least the portion of, of the right that goes, it's a psyop. And then, and then they, <laughs> They they go ahead and, and and do shit like this where it's it's very annoying. Uh, what's a good example? Uh, da, 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 let's see. Uh, oh yes, here we go. Immigration crisis intensifies. Over a dozen Republican governors are planning to visit Texas on Sunday. This is a trucker convoy is scheduled to hold rallies in cities along the border tomorrow. Entities Arian Pazdar has the details. Texas continues to ignore requests from the Biden administration to vacate Shelby Park in Eagle Pass. Governor Greg Abbott on Friday wrote, Texas continues to use every tool and strategy to secure our border, 
we will not back down. Texas will hold the line. This as the Take Our Border Back trucker convoy is on its way to the southern border. On Thursday night, former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin spoke at an event organized by the convoy. It's unconscionable. It's treasonous what our own federal government is doing to us in actually sanctioning an invasion, a foreign invasion of our country across that border. The truckers' goal is to raise awareness about what they consider the Biden and, administration. And my, my only gripe about this was that, like, every, like, ugh, I guess I'll play the rest of the clip. Sorry. ...failure to secure the border. They're scheduled to hold multiple rallies in cities along the border on Saturday. The largest ones are planned to be in Sunnyside, Rock, California, Yuma, Arizona, and Eagle Pass, Texas. Now, this comes as 15 Republican governors are set to speak in Eagle Pass, Texas on Sunday. And similar to the truckers, the governors are expected to point out the Biden administration's alleged failure to protect the border. And they're also expected to back Texas' claim on its constitutional right to defend itself against an invasion. One of those governors is Brad Little of Idaho, who announced he's sending state troopers to the border to support Texas. Little says the flood of fentanyl and human trafficking coming across our lawless southern border is unacceptable. Our state troopers will bring back skills and techniques to stop these criminals. Governor Little is joining Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's also planning to deploy more of his National Guard members to the Texas border. Ariane Pastar, NTD it just, News. In the same way that you read out that these that these governors are coming by to, to, I mean, Elon Musk is going, I think, or just several big, big notoriety people are going over to this uh, to this uh, truck rally or whatever. Uh, I heard links that the Canadians are now coming to to aid the southern border truck rally as well. Again, this this all feels very very controlled in the sense that this doesn't feel very uh uh not I hate sounding like like that, but 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 uh, an, an organic rally of individuals. Why would that ever together. be an organic rally? Well, because that, that did exist, right? The Canadian truckers did actually do did actually do their own rally, right? Yeah. And that that was legitimate, and so much so that the government said you can't do that, and then they they jailed or took away all their money, and then lost the appeal. Um, but in this sense, this seems like just just like the way the Taylor Swift campaign is, right? The of of oh, it's a psyop, and we're being sold. Um, it makes no difference that I see that I see Sarah Palin or Ron DeSantis or the Idaho government, which whatever, any of those people coming in and saying we're we're here to protect the rights and of the American citizens just also feels like a giant scam. But those people have always been saying that. That's yeah. always been their stance. So why is it a surprise this time or why does it feel inauthentic to all, you all, that now they're having the same stance in well, terms of the border? In terms of this, because these three border sites, this is these are not I mean, these they're they're arguing that these are the three major border sites, right? That they're doing though doing so, right? Eagle Pass is fighting over two miles of of this park. But on the other hand, people can just walk the extra mile around, <laughs> go around the, the whole blockade and there's still gaps in, in the, in the border. It doesn't well, matter. Of course. But I mean, that's where all the media attention is. Correct. Okay. So then what are they just going to stand in a desert where there is no physical border? Well, they need a site, right? Of course. Hence I mean, that's because that's the whole point is it's not, there needs, it, it's that it's, it's extends more than just beyond beyond more than just a physical border i mean you can put up a physical border through the whole thing but you can still get bribes going through 
right? You can still get guides going through who just pay their way. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's not about the physical border, no. but you need, you need, that's the center of the story though, is about the border itself. It's not about a desert. I just, I disagree. Okay. I disagree, but that's just my grade. But anyway, uh, let's wrap this up. Well, speaking of Taylor Swift, I have one clip and it, it, it doesn't have to do with her, but it does. Um, this is Airbnb. All right, let's bring in Rob Shaw at the BC Legislature to talk a little bit more about this. Rob, <laughs> this Taylor Swift concerts of all things has political implications as well. Tell us about that. How many Swifties are there at the ledge? There's a lot, uh, Stacey, <laughs> myself included, uh, and not trying to be the bearer of bad news on this at all, because it's great news that there will be three concerts here. But if you do manage to snag a ticket, and you mentioned they go on sale a week from today, the big question is going to be, where do you stay in Vancouver? Because this event will be one of the first to occur under the NDP's new ban on most Airbnbs in urban areas. That means more than 163,000 Swifties will descend on oh Vancouver God. next December to fight for only around 13,000 hotel rooms after thousands of Airbnbs they could have rented are being pulled off the market in May. And you better believe the price of those hotel rooms, if you can even find one, is going to skyrocket. Now, the opposition BC United Day reiterating their call for government to allow people to have one Airbnb property in addition to their principal residence. The NDP has already voted down that idea in the legislature, saying it's not going to let people profit anymore from short-term rentals that could be sold or rented long term. So what he's saying, I mean, it's covered up with all this Taylor Swift stuff and that's how they intro the story, but it has nothing to do with her, right? It's this came out last fall and I had not seen it at all. I don't know if you had. I heard about it through somebody else. Um, I mean, BC, all of BC in Canada is putting a restriction on every single short-term rental property. So Airbnb, I think Verbo, those types of companies you cannot rent anything for less than three months. Like your duration has to be longer than three months, which is considered a short-term rental. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't go up and spend a weekend starting this spring, this May, anywhere in BC because of the housing crisis. Right. So they're, they're hoping that by doing this, Airbnb owners are forced to then sell their properties as you know just just as a house and so then or to then rent longer term for people to then to then rent them obviously but you can't do that weekend retreat or anything like that um and then you're left to hotels and motels and inns or whatever if that even exists anymore but the thing i mean vancouver has a lot of hotels obviously um that's mostly where the housing crisis is the bigger cities but my question how does this affect small towns <laughs> like along the coast you know those little island towns who they don't have a hotel or they have you know a, a, a motel or a small little inn but they mostly rely on those airbnb short-term rentals and the tourism industry well did you i haven't really paid attention. i don't know i haven't seen anything like it's the um the uh, what is it, the Ministry of Housing or whatever it was explaining it that that's why is they're trying to cut down on the or improve the housing crisis and this is the best way that they can do it. Um, is it only focused on the cities or is it a, a, a nationwide? You got to sell your property. Well, that's the thing is I or I no haven't. Clarity. There's no clarity. Okay. I haven't seen clarity. Um, 
and anyways, I thought that was crazy. I thought you would be upset because <laughs> in the spring we can't like shoot up to Canada and rent an Airbnb. No, I understand. Yeah. And I hotels mean, are extremely expensive, right? Yes, and they're but, just going to become more expensive because now it's scarcity. Right. No, it's, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Uh, yes. Which is going to affect the tourism industry anywhere. Yeah, like, it, it sounds the like they just especially. don't know what they're doing. So no, they don't have a solution for yes. anything else. So it's a fun little tidbit. Alrighty, <laughs> of news. Well, ended uh, on a unless you have a fun clip. I don't. I normally expect. I actually was the groundhog would have been good ender. I know, but I, I, yeah. Anyway, I debated intro uh, or outro. I'm gonna start playing the smooth jazz. I we gotta this week this Sunday. I will get my stuff together and we'll we'll have a proper intro and a proper outro but let me in the meantime yeah uh i do want to thank you for for listening savannah if you want to go ahead and and give us the the spiel well is the wallet working now nope not yet i have to test it this weekend so we'll keep it old school if you want to reach out to us no Um, well that's fine if you want to and you decide to uh you can email us at pleb2pleb.podcast at gmail.com p-l-e- P-L-E-B, the number two, P-L-E-B dot podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, tell us anything. Thank you for enjoying us uh, on this very rocky podcast that we had. We promise we'll do a little better next time. Yeah, it sorry was... it ended on a sour note. Yeah, there we go. That's a good way to say it. <laughs> Didn't um, have a fun clip. That's a fun way to say it. Uh, anyway, I'm, uh, my name is Jorge. I'm Savannah. You're listening to Just Plebs. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.